This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. It's so big and so many names or so many line items, as it were, for projects and things like that. You can have like so many things to do. It seems so big. It seems so overwhelming. How are we supposed to do this? And the point from last week was to begin to open up to our understanding the necessity, not just the option, but the necessity of working together, of working together. Not just the option of like, well, that's a neat option to take. No, it's necessary. You have to work together. You ha- there is no such thing as anybody that goes rogue and does anything on their own. There's, it doesn't happen. You don't see it in this book. You don't see it um, in, in the practices, in the principles of the people's lives. That, were, that are successful, that, that Jesus Christ has called. I mean, all of them were sent and went and worked as teams. Not just, uh, in, in some cases it was just a couple people going, but in many cases it was larger teams that worked together. So when we begin to look at this, it's not something that you're, in men, you're, you're intending to carry on your own. Because a team is, is whether it's just two people, but it's a team of people that, that can, or a group that can work together and not do something on their own. When you have somebody beside you, when we're together, you see things that I don't see. Right? He sees things that I don't see. His perspective is just as valuable as my perspective. That's, I think that's a really important notion that we have to understand is that just there's no, there's like there are going to be other things that, that we see that, that are important things to touch on, but he's going to see some things that I don't see. That we've got blind spots. And in our blind spots, we are there to come alongside one another and help each other in our blind spots. Or we get so far in working with somebody and say, well, I don't really know what to do anymore. That's why I, you need somebody there to help you to say, okay, let's work together. Let's work together to have their story intersect with knowing Jesus for themselves. That's really what we're trying to do. Have their story turn into a testimony of how they met Jesus and he changed their lives. And we can't do it on our own. So um, to that point, I want to read um, some things, some metaphors here tonight that we find in Scripture. And I think these are really telling of some themes that we find in Scripture to help us here as we're thinking about discipleship and how important this is to work together. In John chapter 15, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there, John chapter 15, um, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Verse 5, at, at the very end of that, is one of my favorite just inserts from Scripture. It's one of my favorite inserts from Scripture. But John chapter 15, verse 1, it simply says, Jesus speaking, and he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me 
that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I Maybe stop in that metaphor right there and just let us know a couple of things uh, in that verse number two. That it is imperative, it is imperative in our life that we bear fruit. Now, bearing fruit does not simply mean um, reaching the lost or, or winning souls, as it were, or discipling people. That's not, that's not the only thing that it means. It does mean that you bear personal fruit in your life, that you are growing. And the reason why is because you, if, if you are connected, if you are a branch that has been grafted into the vine, then that vine is pouring into you and, and encouraging you and giving you uh, what you need to grow. The, the, vine is, the, the source of life is pushing you to grow. And what we see here is that if we refuse, the, 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 the lack of bearing fruit it, it is the refusal to grow. Now, growth doesn't feel good. Growth kind of hurts. Growth is uncanny. Jesse's like, I know what you're talking about. Right? Growth is uncomfortable. Growth means you have to change things. You have to change maybe, as it were, your entire lifestyle when you grow. There are some things when we grow that we have to change in, and growth doesn't feel good. But what the Scripture is telling us, and, and I'm just taking what Jesus is saying here, is he's saying if you don't, if you don't grow, I'm, I'm going to prune you, and, and I'm going to take you away. That's pretty serious. Now, I'm not saying this to be like a downer here tonight, but I also have to, I have to say this because this whole thing about growing fruit and, and, and being fruitful in our own lives is not just a game that we're playing here. It's not just a good idea like, well, let's try that for this year's, you know, for this year's theme. Let's try to, let's try, like, no, that's, that's real serious business. That when you get grafted into the vine, you're saying, I'm willing to, to take this and go on this journey with you, Lord. And he's saying, okay, that means I'm going to start to push you and lead you. And, and I'm going to kind of, I'm going to get you to grow out there. That our, our response has got to be, okay, I've, I've got to grow. I've got to grow so I can bear fruit. And some of us, we're afraid to grow. We're afraid to grow because we've grown really, really comfortable. We're going really good at at not bearing fruit. <laughs> like I have um, a couple of fruit trees in my yard, like, like over a dozen that we planted, and I, I'll be honest with you, um, if there's something that's not bearing fruit, I, I don't care for it very much. And, and I, don't, I, I don't like it. And I go and give it a good stern talking to. And we've got chickens in our backyard. And if those chickens aren't laying eggs, I tell them, I was like, look, this is not a chicken retirement farm. Like, you've you got to do something. We eat a lot of chicken noodle soup at the house. That's so, I'm just saying. Um, I, I don't think stressing <laughs> my trees or stressing the chickens is going to help them grow. 
And so I don't want to stress anybody out here tonight, but I do want to tell you that you are, you are intended to bear fruit. You are designed to bear fruit. It's, it's, it's God's intention for your life for you to bear fruit. And you will, you'll never really fully realize your potential until you bear fruit. You'll never have that fulfillment and satisfaction and that, that, that full potential and that living for the Lord until, you realize, until your potential is realized in the bearing of fruit. Okay. And so Jesus gives some pretty serious words. He says, I'll, I'll either, huh, he says, I'll, if you don't bear fruit, I'll take them away, which basically means I'll just cut them off and, and take them away. Or he says, every branch that bears fruit, oh, I've got good news. I'm just going to prune those. And so the Lord says, now that you're bearing fruit, guess what? I'm also going to keep working on you. <laughs> like, wait a second. Wait a second, Lord. I thought that this was supposed to be, like, I thought that bearing fruit was supposed to make things easier. And everything was going to be great. And he says, no, no that's, I'm, I'm going to keep working on you. And I'm going to take some of the things off that are, the reason why a vine dresser will prune the branch to bear more fruit is so that the energy goes where it needs to go. Not so that the energy is wasted in other areas. If the energy, so energy in a, in a like we, we actually are chicken sitting for somebody right now. And we have this, like, are, is this all right tonight? Good, great. So um, we had this, this chicken that we got last night. We're chicken sitting for a family over the winter. And they said, this chicken, has, she hasn't been laying eggs recently. She stopped. And I said, well, that happens because a, a chicken only has so much energy. Like, just like us, you only have so much energy, right? Right? You only have so much time in your day, right? You only have so much energy that you can contribute. And I said, in the wintertime, what happens is that the chickens will stop laying eggs so that they can start to grow their down feathers, which are their feathers that keep them really warm. The feathers in your jackets, that's what they start growing. And because their body needs the energy to produce those feathers. And then once those feathers are in place and they're grown, then the body can use energy to produce eggs. It's pretty cool. Like on a fruit tree, that the, the tree only has so many leaves for photosynthesis, so, so much roots to go down to the soil, so there's a limited amount of energy that it can pour in. And if you have all of the energy from the tree growing into the branch, which is the wood that extends out farther away from the trunk, it's, it's putting all of the energy into that resource. But if it's growing fruit, then what you do is you, you prune the branch so that it can put the energy into the growing of the fruit. So that the fruit that you get from that is large and mature. Does this make sense? So what it's saying here, what it's saying in this passage is that as we are connected to the vine and as the Lord is giving us that giving pouring into us he's saying when you begin to bear fruit i'm just going to take away those things in your life that are wastes of energy so that you can pour into the things that really need your energy it will actually be fruit not only will it be fruit because what will happen this is so cool so what will happen is that if you have a if you have a tree that is that has way too many branches and and it has too many things going on and it doesn't have proper energy into that fruit, it will grow small fruit that doesn't taste good, number one, and number two, it will grow small, in that small fruit, it will grow seeds that can't reproduce in themselves. 
So what that means is it's Jesus, I, I believe, anyway, this is just me, but I believe that this is saying that he's saying, he's saying, when you begin to bear fruit, I'm going to take away all the other stuff that doesn't matter so that you can grow fruit, and then that fruit is fruit that remains. You, know, well, you want to know why sometimes we feel conflicted? When we begin working with people on a deeper level, and we, and we have, like, you begin to struggle a little bit more, it's because the Lord is trying to prune some things out of your life. Say, well, get that out of here now, and, and kind of get that out of here now, so that you can actually work on something so it will stick, and it will become mature, and it will stay. So, verse 3. <laughs> um, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. That goes back to that relationship component. You can't bear fruit unless you stay connected to the source. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says in verse number five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then the very last part, for without me, you can do nothing. Without him, we can be busy without him, but you can't do anything. You can't accomplish anything. We, we can't accomplish anything without him. We can be busy, but not productive. We, there's, no, there's no shortage of busyness in our lives. But I want to ask us here tonight, are we productive in what we're busy about? There's no shortage of many things to do and places to put our energy into, but is that productive? You know what the average amount of time a person spends watching, um, whether it's TV movies or YouTube or spending time on social media in a day has become in 2021? It takes a, take a guess, anybody. Four hours. Keep going. Seven. Keep going. Keep going. Ten hours a day. How? How is that possible? I'll tell you how. Because you take it with you everywhere you go. And people are on their jobs. You're telling me you've never seen anybody on their job doing this? And they're supposed to be helping you? You're telling me you've never seen somebody driving down the road doing this? <laughs> yeah, I saw that the other day. Somebody had their phone, like, on the steering wheel, and they were watching something. It wasn't like directions. So you take, you take 10 hours a day. Let's even, let's even bring it down. Let's just, say, let's just say it's 50 hours a week. Let's just say it's 50. That's, and that's short. Like, that's low. Okay? Let's just say it's 50 hours a week. 52 weeks a year. It's 2,600 hours. And we're, in, 
I'm not saying anybody here does this because none of us here are connected to anything like that. None of us here have gone down the YouTube black hole. <laughs> Watching cat videos at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm reading someone's mail right now. Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. And, 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 then, and then that's, you know, because when, when, when are those most appealing? It's most appealing on Saturday night. <laughs> that's when it's most appealing because you got church the next day. Um, and so the time that, that, on the average, on average, this is just on average, that gets put into this. If you were to take a step back and you were to look at that in, in, over the course of a few years, we say, well, I don't have time to go back to school. I don't have time. I don't have time for, for exercise. I don't have time to sleep. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time to do all these sorts of things. Right? I don't have time for discipleship. I don't have time for personal care. I don't have time. Um, that's one of the biggest lies of the enemy in our world today. And this is not me coming down hard on anybody. The reason why this happens is because of our, our flesh. Is so, it appeals so much to our flesh. It appeals so much to our flesh. And, and, and I'm not here to give a course tonight on health and wellness, um, although that's actually wholly appropriate to do that. Um, but I will say this, that um, the amount of time that, that we sometimes think that we don't have, when, when you begin to bear fruit in your life, the Lord graciously comes in and starts to, starts to kind of minimize some of those other things that seem so important in our lives. He helps us by taking those things, they, taking even some of the appeal of those things away. Now we can reach for them and grab for them and say, no, no, leave it here, Lord, leave it here. But what, what he's, I think, showing us and telling us here is that when we abide in him and you begin to produce fruit in your own life, whether it's personal fruit right here in your heart and what your life, what's going on, or in working with others and helping them to grow as well, what we begin to see is he begins to kind of take some of those things that, that are not the most useful and, you, and have the most utility away from our lives. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why in growing fruit, that's one of the reasons why it's, it's a struggle sometimes. And it's a test of your disciplines. And it's a test of your, of your willpower and your, and, and your personal disciplines that you have is because, is because those things that were once appealing that are automatic go-tos for our lives, the Lord is trying to prune those away. Trying to prune those away. Okay. So the Lord describes us, the Bible describes us, the church, as branches to Christ divine. Uh, uh, let's go on to another metaphor here tonight. Matthew chapter 12. This is, this is an interesting one. Um, I'm kind of really starting to... Oh, never mind. I'll, I'll talk about that later. <laughs> Open a can of worms. Matthew 12, 46. 46, 12, 46. It says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold... His mother and brothers stood outside, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. It's like, thank you, Matthew. You've made that really clear. <laughs> um, but he answered and said 
to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and sister, is my brother and sister and mother. This is in part, in part, this is the description of the, within the church and us together, it's a description of us as a family. As a family. Now, we still use the terminology around here, we still use the, uh, for, for the most part, terminology, brother and sister. And I'm not disparaging that or denigrating that. I think that's fine. We, that's, that's all well and good, and especially showing deference to our elders. I think that's a really good way to do that. Um, but we still use the terminology brother and sister as far as, let's say, the family of God. We are a family, and so we are brothers. And um, I wouldn't say we are sisters. We're brother and sisters, you know. So we, you know, we're siblings. Yeah, brothers and sisters, right? We're brothers. Um, so when we look at this as the church, when we, we talk about in discipleship, the, the notion of welcoming and bringing somebody into a family. Now, some of you are, we, we have Thanksgiving and Christmas and kind of the holiday season where we, if you have, you know, different families in different places, that's where that can be a little bit challenging. Now you're part of a new family. You're part of a family. And, and what does your family do for Christmas? What does your family do for Thanksgiving? And what does your family do for that? And, and, uh, and that's weird. Why do you do that? You know, why, why do you you know, we, nobody ever does that. Who, you know, we all put cats outside and, like, just, like, who does, like, why is that a thing that you do on Christmas? Well, because, I don't know, <laughs> I just didn't like the cats anymore. So, no, no, I'm just, no, no we bring them in. I, I mean, we bring them inside. That's what I meant. We bring them in. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> so, right, so we have these these funny traditions that we have as family we, when you're talking about people that you're working with, you're saying, well, I want you to be a part of a family. This, this is two, twofold. Number one, um, you want to kind of let them know what the family does. Like, this is what the family does. Don't be alarmed. <laughs> We're not making you take a blood oath at the end of this to prove your heritage with this family. Like, you, you're a part of the family, but listen, just don't be alarmed. This is part of it. Number one. But number two... Um, you are a part of a family. And when you become a part of a family, you add to that family. You don't just meld in and lose your identity. You add to that, and the, and the entire thing, the, the dynamics of the family change. So I'm just, I'm just bringing this out as a pastor here tonight, is that there are, there, there are, we may look, for the most part, we may look somewhat homogenous in how we how we maybe present in some ways. There's a lot of similarities you can kind of say as you maybe go around the room. There are differences here and there by appearance. But for the most part, we can say, yeah, we kind of look and do and kind of act in similar ways and things like that, maybe. But the reality is, even, even if our temperaments are similar or the same, we are vastly different people. You're very different than, than anyone else in this room. You stick out. You're, you're different. 
like Brother Marchand and I have probably, you'd say, well, we have some similarities and kind of similar temperaments or maybe a little bit whatnot. But I, they're strange. Like the Marchands are just are in the best way possible. It's the Lee's influence. Okay, he said it, not Sister Lee. He said it. That was not me. That wasn't me. He's right. Like I'm not arguing. I'm not like I'm not like sitting here saying no. That's not right. But like it's just it is what it is. Right. But sometimes we feel like we're suffocated and we can't really be who we really are. Right that we lose your identity. But what I'm trying to tell us is this. As a family, you don't, you don't lose your identity. You're, you're, we're bringing and adopting every one of you into, into this great family to add to it. Not to get lost in it and to fit some kind of mold. You add to it. So there are people here, I'll, I'll just maybe give some examples. There are people here who pray really quietly. And then there are people here that pray really loud. Really loud. I'm not looking at anybody or calling anybody out. I'm not, well, I am, but I'm trying not to. <laughs> so what do we do with that? We just say, well, everybody just pray the same way? No. Now, there does need to be decency and order and, and not confusion. Okay, we understand that. But be who you are. Be the person, in, be the individual that God made you while contributing to a family. There is no such thing as an outsider in the kingdom of God. If you are an outsider in the kingdom of God, it's because you have chosen to be an outsider. I'm telling you, I'm telling us here today, that you are a part, each and every one of us is a part of a family. And what you bring to the table, what you contribute to the family, is exactly what we need. We need you as a part of this family. Insomuch that we are also all following the will of our Father and being obedient to Him. So the church, the church is the branches to Christ the vine. The church is also a family that you are a part of. Next metaphor that I want to use is found in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 22. This is a fun one, so. <laughs> like, I don't even have to be apologetic for this because Paul wrote it in Scripture, it's Bible, so. But I also don't want to be too light about it either. This, what, what I'm about to read is counterculture. It's counterculture. The world doesn't want this to be a part. The world is, once the world really gets a hold of this, <laughs> they're going to cancel. They're going to try to cancel it. But the world has tried to cancel Christ before, and it didn't work. So it's not going to work. But Ephesians 5.22 says, says, wives, um, okay, so submit. So, 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 like begrudgingly, as God's word, I guess. No, there. Listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it right here on this for a second. This isn't just for wives or women. This is for every single one of us. 
there is beauty and power, there's strength and unity in submission. Submission. Um, Paul also writes and he says, submit yourselves one to another. Let me just tell you, this whole growing a church and church growth and discipleship, submission is hard. We don't like submission. Maybe, maybe if we're here tonight, we talk about parents, uh, children obey your parents, right? Like, we all cheer on that one. Let's go to the youth class and go talk to them. Like, children obey your parents, you know, and yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, but, but it continues on to every single one of us, and, and, and I'm not excluded from this, right? Like, there's nobody that's excluded from this. Submission. Submission is something we don't like. To, and submission, submission in and of itself is counterculture. Culture says, culture says there's no need for submission because you have your truth, and your truth is your reality, and then I have my truth, and my truth is my reality. And we can all have our truths, and therefore we don't have to, we don't, there doesn't need to be any sort of power hierarchy because, uh, because we all have our own truths that we live by. The Bible teaches us that there are not multiple truths. There aren't multiple ways. There's one way. There's one truth. So you don't have your truth, and I don't have my truth. I, like, Inasmuch as I'm not entitled to my own truth, you're not entitled to your own truth. We need his truth. And his truth settles all of these other fake truths, all these other narratives. Yeah. But that only comes really through submission. Submission. So here it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Why, or husbands, I was just going to read the wives part again. Uh, that's the only part I have in my Bible. I, just, I don't know what happened to those other verses. No, um, and, and so, you know, as wives, as, 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 as women, women, you can sometimes think, wives, you can sometimes think that you get the short end of the stick on this one. I got to submit? Okay. Let's keep reading. Husbands, love your wives. How? <laughs> Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, how did Christ give himself for the church? He died. He died. God commended his love towards us that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. 
so what this tells husbands is that if something isn't going right in your home or your marriage, you act like Christ. That doesn't mean you go flipping over tables. Tuna casserole again! You know, like, that's not, that's not what that means. What it means, men, is that you go to the cross. You go to the cross. And you give yourself, even when things aren't going well. You give yourself. You give. You give. Doesn't mean you're, it doesn't mean you, it, it's, it's an unreasonable request that it becomes abusive. That's not what that means. And in the grace of God, we don't abuse the grace of God either. But what that does mean, men, Men, you don't have the opportunity to sit back and to say, well, if she would just do this, or if she would just, if she, you're the leader. You're the leader in your home. <laughs> Brother Reed, I'm just trying to, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you don't lead, so you lead the way that Christ led. Christ led by teaching, Christ led by loving, Christ, Christ led by giving himself. Surrender. But he also led with an unwavering truth and an unwavering mission. That that in his giving, in in his suffering, he never compromised the mission. The mission progressed. And men, the only way that submission works if there is a mission that's in place. The only way that sub is under, so the only way that there's any under mission, submission, is if there's a mission already in place. And you can stay true to the mission without crushing the one that's supposed to be there by your side. Okay. Amen. Wow, that was really fun. So let's keep going. <laughs> Okay, so husbands love you that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing, the water, of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Um, this is the work of the church. And the church, we, we talked about the church as the branches to Christ the vine. We talked about the church as the family. This is the church as the collective bride of Christ. And what he is doing as the, to the collective church is through the washing of his word. That's why I fear churches that don't teach or preach the word. Right. Because there's no washing. It's like washing with dirty water. Right. So he uses this word to wash us, to cleanse us. And I want us to be maybe clear about a couple of things that part of living for God and this, this walk with God, I don't want anyone to deceive you or fool you. That part of living for God and this walk with God is not just easy love and grace all the time. 
that there is a washing that takes place. There is a, um, as it says here, a glorious church without having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. And when you think of like the washing machines in the, in the, in the old world, like the washing machines in the old world weren't like general electric or something like that where you just push a button and it just kind of kind of goes around like this. That's kind of the washing machines of the new world, right? That's kind of the washing of the, the washing with the word in the new church today. It's just kind of nice and easy and you just kind of tumble and let out a little bit of water. Washing in the, the old world was you take that thing down to the creek <laughs> and you just those <laughs> stains out of it. And you run, scrub it down. Right, like, and there was a washboard, maybe. I don't know. No, no, it's not. I don't know. It's like, it was a washboard. You know, like, it was not easy. I, I'm, I'm sharing this with us here tonight because we're, it, how it relates to, how this relates to discipleship is in, in a couple of ways. One, it, there's a collective component to it. It's not just a singular person. It's the many branches in the vine. It's the, it's, the, um, it's the brothers and sisters, the entire family, and the way that that adds to it. It's the, the collective bride of Christ. But it's work every step of the way. And I don't want us to be confused by this. It's work. It's work. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Um, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's work. But, but the presentation of that work when, it's, when this is all done is a beautiful church that's presented to God holy and without blemish. Some of you, when you came into this, when you came into, came into the church or came into the kingdom, you entered into the kingdom during a time when some of the preaching and the teaching was, was pretty, um, how do we want to say this? Legalistic? Yeah, that's a word. Um, and maybe not far. It was very clear what that person was saying. <laughs> and maybe it was, maybe it was um, without a lot of grace, perhaps. I don't know what the motives of everybody was, but we do ourselves a disservice by saying we can't also by saying that we, we want to leave some of that out, not, not the harshness of it, not the hardness of it, but the true reality of it. The the truth of it is like he still wants a pure bride. He still wants a pure bride. He's still coming back for a pure bride. And I don't want anybody to be confused as we continue on and as we go on. Our our goal is not to just become uh, something that blends in with the rest of this world but has his name on us, we still need to be a pure bride. Still come out from among them and be separate. Holy, without wrinkle, without spot, without blemish. As the collective bride of Christ. Okay. So we've covered those three. Another one is this, and this is, um, and I'll begin kind of Winding down with the last couple thoughts here. Um, Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read from there, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Simply, uh, I'll just read through both of these. Romans chapter 5 and verse 4 
It says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. I don't know if we really catch that. We are members of the body of Christ and individually members of one another. That there is an interconnectedness that that if we are a body that we have to have. There must be an interconnectedness. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And this is really the last, the last uh, metaphor that I'm using here tonight. And it is the metaphor of the... And it's nothing new or, or earth-shattering, but it's the metaphor of the body. About how the body of Christ is interconnected. And it goes far beyond just little parts that are kind of haphazardly put together. But that the Lord has intentionally and purposefully knit and created his body and put us together. And you are a part of a body. And when that member of the body is missing, when that member of the body is missing, when you find yourself coming and getting grafted into a body, and now you're kind of like, become used to it, but then when that member of that body is missing, the body suffers. It's hard. It's difficult. Not only that, but separate yourself from the body for so long and you can't survive. You need a body. You need a church to be a part of. We need a church to be part. There, there are people that are out there, and, and I understand the component that we're talking about in discipleship of, of kind of working with people gradually a long time, and, 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 that's, fine, and that's good. We want to we approach this in a, in a healthy way, but ultimately, everybody needs a body. Everybody needs to be a part of a body. And every individual, and as, that's part of the reason why we have different initiatives that we, that we engage into, whether it's uh, our campuses, our life groups. Not every, this isn't just one big body that we're trying to create. Like, we're not trying to create this big giant, like, stomping around. But it's that multiplication, it's that bearing of fruit and that growth. But make no mistake, make no mistake. The scripture is clear and it identifies the fact that everyone needs to be a part of a body. Acts 2.42, I think it's fairly well known. It says, and they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Who, Who did? They did. The people together. Hebrews 5 and 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, 
You have not come, um, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. What Paul is, what presumably Paul is saying here in Hebrews is he's saying by this time, you could be teachers. So I'm not going to hit on the, the latter portion of that, but what he was really, what he was conveying to those people is maybe in a, in a way, in a sense, I want to convey to us here tonight is that you can be teachers. You can be teachers. You, you stopped drinking milk a long time ago. Like, remember when milk was, when, when you first came into church and, like, everything was amazing? You're like, well, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But remember, like, remember when your eyes were open for the very first time and, and then all of a sudden this book became more than just um, a book in the drawer of a hotel somewhere? Like, this became real and became alive and it made, started making sense to you and started to connect? Like, remember when, that, when, that, when those things started to happen? It's like, this is real. This is, like, really real. And, and, it's, and, and you advance beyond just the milk and the simple and the surface level things until you begin to get into some things that are really dense. And you say, this is, there's something, some sustenance here. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, okay, it's time now, because you have gotten to that place, it's time for you to begin to teach others. It's really, um, this is something I'm trying to get this to, Maybe put it on a bumper sticker and a T-shirt. Um, it's not that simple. Or, I'm sorry, it's not that complicated. It's not that hard. It's bound to work. It's just Bible. Like, it's, it's bound to work. It's, it's Bible. It's bound to be effective. It's Bible. And there are, you say, well, what do we teach? What do we say? How do we, how do we grow with people? Well, one of the greatest things that you could do is you could say, Look, I'm going to give you some milk, and I'm going to tell you this is going to change your world. You have you you are now teachers where you can do this yourself. All right. Last thing I'm going to say tonight is this, and we'll kind of we'll we'll conclude. I'm going to go through rapid fire of a few verses here this evening, um, and it really encapsulates the point of what I. If you're wondering, well, what is this about? This encapsulates the point of what this is about. Hebrews 10:24 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I love those verses together, not just taken singularly. I love them together. Let us consider one another. Let's consider one another. Not ourselves. We're not considering ourselves. We're considering one another. In order to stir up love and good works. That what this is all about is the stirring up of love and good works. We don't need to stir up anything else. Sometimes we're really good at stirring up other things, like in our humanity, in our flesh. We can be just fine at stirring things up. We don't need to stir up any, we don't need help with stirring up any controversies. Controversies are all over the world. They're all over the place. But this says, stir up love and good works by considering one another. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Romans 12 and 10 says, be kindly affectionate 
to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. This, this says in verse number 10, it says it twice, the, the phrase I'm keying in on in these last few passages here tonight. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Colossians 3 and 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 1 John 4 and 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John 1 and 7, lastly, tonight says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The point that I'm bringing out here tonight is in these last few verses, there's been a phrase that's repeated itself over and over and over again, and it's those two words, one another. In the the New Testament alone, that phrase is used over 100 times, one another. It denotes the absence of isolation and individualism, which is just you by yourself. And it immediately implies that you are with others, and that you're not alone. Yeah, Lee. And that's, that's, yeah. And that's so good because we are, it, it, this, it's so much more than just us individually. It's, it, and there's things, like when, <clears throat> when somebody reflects something back to you, when somebody reflects something genuinely, authentically back to you, whether it's something that <laughs> maybe it's something you need to work on, <laughs> no, 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 we, we don't ever want that. Or it's, or it's something that they see that's commendable, that God is, by the grace of God, that's happening in your life. <clears throat> we, we need one another for that. Because the fact of the matter is this, all of us can do more than one of us. All of us together can do more than one of us individually operating independently. When we work together, when we work together, we work together. All right. Here's what we're going to do. The very last thing here tonight. Why don't we all just stand together?